0: also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see also that you excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to testify, to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for, our, for your sake, he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And here's my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have a desire to do so. Now finish the work, so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion, by your completion of it, according to your means. did not have too little.
1: Thank you Kwaku. Well kids, it is a joy to have you with us today, and by, I'm talking to actual kids, I'm not calling the adults kids. All right, Just to be clear, a joy to have our children with us today, and if you Can turn your activity sheets to the second page. You can follow along on the things I'm going to teach, and hopefully, you can write in some of the words there, and that will help you. Well, for everyone, we have started a new mini-series on financial stewardship. How does following Jesus shape the way that I relate to money and to material possessions? So last week, we looked at a few basic principles, for starters, sort of a a theology of money. Today, we're taking a second look at the topic, but before we continue, could we please stop and pray? Let's pray together. God, we ask for your spirit to come upon us, upon this word, upon our hearts. We pray that you would make this time fruitful, eternally fruitful, bless us. Help us to have ears to hear what you would have us to hear and eyes to see, most of all, to see the glory and the grace of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. A few weeks ago, my daughter Elena and her friend Eve had a delightful time making little sea creatures out of clay. They made a seahorse and a stingray an octopus, and a crab. But biggest and most impressive of all were the bright orange clownfish and a cheerful blue tang fish, which, of course, they named what? Nemo and Dory. When it was time for Eve to leave, Elena's mom suggested that she give one of these sea creatures to Eve, which my daughter agreed to do wonderfully. But when her friend surveyed the choices and then picked up the bright, beloved Nemo, I saw my daughter's eyes widen a little bit, then watch in silence as Nemo was carried out the door i was proud i was proud of my girl that night grateful for her generosity i was grateful for her honesty too 15 minutes after going to bed she slinked halfway down the stairs and with a small tear in her eye whispered to me i'm still thinking about And I understood what she meant. Maybe you do too. Because even as a grown-up, I've felt the same thing so many times before. That sometimes generosity is hard even when you know it's good. Which is why it's so helpful that the Bible teaches us about generosity, isn't it? But kids, generosity is a big word, isn't it? What does it mean? What does generosity mean? Generosity means sharing with a happy heart. It's sharing with a happy heart. The Bible tells us that generosity is a defining mark of authentic Christianity. Generosity isn't an act, it's a lifestyle. Freely giving of yourself, freely giving yourself. Just as God has so freely given himself to you. Gospel generosity, of course, isn't limited to money. We're to be eager to share our time, our energy our emotions, our homes, our personal space, our friendships, our very lives. Generosity isn't limited to money, according to the Bible, but it certainly includes our money and our material possessions. Today we're looking at a passage that teaches us a little bit about financial generosity. We know from places like Romans 15 and 1 Corinthians 16 and and Galatians 2 that Christians in Jerusalem had been hit pretty hard by a famine. So Paul had been collecting financial contributions across churches in the Mediterranean region for their relief. And so here he's reminding the church in the city of Corinth in ancient Greece, to follow through with their commitment to provide them with help. And so from this passage, we can draw out some principles of financial generosity. So we're going to look at seven. Seven. Seven principles of financial generosity. Let's dive right in. Number one. Here's the first principle. Number one. Giving. Giving is a grace. Giving is a grace. Notice in verse 1, we're told that generosity in the Macedonian churches was enabled by the grace that God had given them. And then in verse 6, financial contributions to the Christians in Jerusalem are described as an act of grace. And in verse 7, as the grace of giving. Paul is teaching us that financial giving is a form of spiritual giving. When you give your material possessions to others with the love of Christ and by the power of God's spirit, you are actually giving supernatural grace from God to another person. Maybe you've experienced this. Someone gives you a financial gift. It doesn't even have to be a lot. And it doesn't just meet a practical need, though it does do that. But more than that, it strengthens your heart. It encourages you. Because maybe what you really needed was a physical token to prove to you something that was hard to believe in that moment, and that's that God really cares. Or maybe you donate to a ministry and you later see how your support was a critical part of someone coming to know Jesus for the first time. Or maybe you decide to help a struggling neighbor, but through it all, both of you, you included, both of you discover something that you both desperately needed, friendship. Mysteriously, God uses physical and temporal things to accomplish his heavenly and eternal purposes. Physical gifts and resources can become spiritual gifts and resources applied to people's souls. I mean, that's really different from the way that we typically think and talk about money. I mean, do you realize, friend, that when you are living generously, you're not just giving physical gifts, you're giving spiritual gifts gifts to that person because giving is a grace. Number two, number two, you can grow in giving. We act like giving or generosity is just something that you do, just something you do, rather than something that you develop. You're either good at it or you're not. Paul talks about financial generosity almost like a spiritual skill or or a discipline that can be cultivated. Take a look at verse 7. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Paul saying, maybe you're aware, maybe you're aware of the importance of your words, your speech. You know that it's something that you should develop, a skill that you should hone. Or you know that you should be growing as a follower of Jesus, growing in love, or in faith, or in knowledge of God. So here's the question, do you seek to grow, do you seek to excel also in the grace of Giving, Just as you do in all these other spiritual gifts and practices. I mean, it's worth pondering. Do you ask yourself, how can I become more generous? How can I become a better giver? How can I learn to be more like Jesus in this particular area of my life? And do you understand, do you know that you can learn to give to others with more wisdom? You can actually learn and grow to give to others with far less fear, with far greater effectiveness, with far greater freedom and sacrificiality, and with greater joy. Friends, do you know that you can grow in giving? Do you want to grow in giving, in generosity? Number three, generosity is possible in scarcity. Generosity is possible in scarcity. Even, we learn, in poverty. All shares here about the radical, mind-blowing generosity of the Christians in Macedonia. Uh, Listen to what he says about how they contributed to the sufferings of the Christians in Jerusalem, starting in verse 1. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. Wow, Who? Gives like that. You, you know, the Macedonians were generous, but not because they had a lot left over, right? They didn't have much. They themselves were struggling with extreme poverty, we're told. Yet they gave beyond. Their ability, their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. They even begged, begged for the opportunity, the privilege to help. I mean, isn't this incredible? I mean, they weren't hiding from this obligation and opportunity like I usually am. How about you? Right? They weren't trying to get out of it, they wanted to serve. And they didn't give only out of their spare change, as it were. They gave sacrificially and even joyfully. Man, this is so different from our ordinary thinking, isn't it? See, generosity doesn't begin only after all Of our own needs are met, or only when I'm finally comfortable. Sometimes, sometimes loving someone sacrificially will seem ill advised to onlookers. Gospel generosity is never actually foolish, but you know sometimes it will, it will look a little bit foolish. It might not be in the best interest of your personal long-term financial planning, for example. The Macedonians prove to us that giving in scarcity is possible. or maybe more importantly, that giving, in scarcity, is beautiful. Which brings us to the fourth point. Number four, giving is fueled by good news. Giving is fueled by good news. You know, giving isn't fueled by guilt fueled by good news. We usually try to motivate our generosity by pouring on well guilt, pride, and lies. What do I mean? Here's what guilt sounds like. Don't you just feel so bad for all the people that need your help? Or don't you feel bad for all that you have? Here's what motivating with pride sounds like. Why don't you give? You know you're better than all those greedy people out there. Look at you. Look at you now. You're so, so generous. And here's what motivating with lies sound like. If you're generous, God's going to give you a bigger house. Or if you give, God is going to love you more. You see, but the Bible motivates us in a totally different way. As one commentator puts it, for Paul, the basis for giving to others is not what they have done or will do for us, but what God has already done for us in Christ. The foundation for generosity is always a personal experience of the riches of God's generous grace. Look at verse 9, the very most important verse in this passage. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. You see, there's no one richer than God. He literally has everything. Every created thing in heaven and earth belongs to him. All wisdom, all knowledge, all power, all glory is his. Even the infinite love shared perfectly between God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But here's the story of our salvation. The God, the Son, the Son of God gave it all up and became poor because of love. He took on the humanity of human flesh. He lived a life of relative poverty, assumed the posture of a servant rejected and despised he divested himself of all heavenly riches and nowhere do we see this any more and any better than when he died on the cross for human sin where he was impoverished not of dollars and of cents but of the intimacy that he shared infinitely with the Father as he suffered the wrath of God that we deserved for our sins. And for what? That we, who were poor in our sin, morally bankrupt, Lost in our resourcelessness and our helplessness to save ourselves. That we might become rich. You're rich in Christ, rich in the lavish love of God, rich in the treasures of heaven. Rich in the promises of God. Rich in the security of being called a child of the king. Rich in the eternal storehouse of God's forgiving grace. You're rich in Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became rich. Poor, that you, through his poverty, might become rich. That's good news. So, dear friends, we give. Why? Because we've been richly, even infinitely, given to in Christ. That's the great motivation. God doesn't say, give or I'm going to get you. God says, give because I've got a hold of you. Because I love you. Because I've given everything to you in Christ. Generosity starts in the heart. It doesn't start with our hands. Generosity grows in those who know that they are spiritually Wealthy. It's the generosity of God that makes us generous. And so if you want to grow in generosity, and if we are a church that wants to grow in generosity, then what we have to remember is that what we need by way of motivation isn't a bigger guilt trip. It's a bigger vision of Jesus. After all, what was it that caused the impoverished Macedonians to well up in rich generosity? Well, verse 2 says it was their overflowing joy in Jesus. Because generosity is fueled by good news. Number five, generosity is doxology. Generosity is doxology. Doxology, of course, it's an old word, a big word. It means worship. Do you know that generosity isn't just for our neighbors? Generosity is for God. We see this in verse 5 again speaking of the macedonians and they exceeded our expectations they gave themselves first of all to the who lord and then by the will of god also to us all christian generosity starts with giving ourselves first of all to the lord who gave himself to us it's an act of worship And devotion, it's a response to God's grace even before it's a response to people's needs. One reason why that's so important is that because it's primarily a response to God, that means you don't stop giving even when people don't say thank you. You're not dependent upon the reciprocal generosity of those to whom you're giving to sustain a life of generosity. This is one of the practical reasons why the church has traditionally collected the offering on Sunday mornings during the worship service like in here like we do because it's then and there that we're most reminded of the generosity of Christ and it's then and there that we're reminded that we give that we are giving first and foremost as an act of gratitude to God in worship. As one author, J.D. Greer, put it, we don't give because God needs it, but because in giving, we declare his value to us and our love for him. This passage reminds us that it's important to consider not just what we give or that we give, but rather to whom. We give, and that starts with doxology. Number six, we're cruising along here. Number six, can you believe it? Number six, give what you've got. Give what you've got. Look at number, uh, verses 11 and 12. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness of there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. All right, well, there are a couple of implications worth considering here very briefly we can talk about it some more during Q&A a couple implications first not everyone has the same means some are able to give more some less so don't compare your generosity with others god doesn't second Pay attention to your heart. God is more concerned with our attitude than with the amount. Third, even if you only have a little and can only give a little, you can still give to God in an acceptable way. That's encouraging. You don't need to be wealthy. You don't need to be middle class to please God with a generous heart even if you don't have much, you can still put much of a smile on your father's face because of your love for him shown through your gifts to him. And even when you don't have a lot, you can have the dignity and privilege of helping others to the glory of God with whatever you have. And fourthly, in general... God invites those who have more to live more generously as a joy and a privilege. Because we are blessed always to be a blessing. And because God blesses us materially, not simply to increase our standard of living, but to increase our standard of being. Giving. Because the principle here is give what you've got. Hmm. Where have we been? Giving is a grace. You can grow in giving. Generosity is possible in scarcity. Giving is fueled by good news. Generosity is. Doxology, give what you've got. And seventh, and lastly, the goal of generosity is equality. The goal of generosity is equality. Look at verses 13 to 15. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. In the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Paul says it twice, doesn't he? The goal is equality. And by that, Paul doesn't mean That the goal is exactly equal means or equal bank accounts in every case. What he means is equal exchange. He quotes from Exodus 16. That's the story of God's provision to the wandering Israelites out in the desert where he gives them manna on a steady basis, bread that miraculously appeared in the desert and some would gather up more Others would gather up less, but every single person's needs were met. So the point here is not only that the needs of the whole community might be taken care of. The point is also that we be mutually dependent upon each other. Again, Paul says at the present time, your plenty will supply what they want so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. In other words, one day, you might supply someone's need. But on another day, they might be supplying for your need. And on another day, they might be supplying for your need, but in a different way. You might give to them financially, but they might give to you emotionally. Emotionally in a way that money can't buy. They might give possessions, but you might give back something priceless like spiritual encouragement or friendship. This is what true generosity in community looks like. A community where no one is only a giver and another person only a receiver but rather that we are all givers and we are all receivers just in different ways because we're all desperately needy, if we dare see it and admit it. We're all impoverished in some way. Which brings us back, of course, to the story of God's generosity That we all were poor and are all poor spiritually, morally, and in some cases, economically. And yet the one who was rich made himself poor so that we, through his poverty, might become rich. So that out of the riches of that good news, you and I might overflow with sacrificial Joyful generosity. Dear friends, giving's a grace. You can grow in giving. Giving is possible in scarcity. It's fueled by good news. It is, in fact, doxology. Give what you've got. And the goal of this generosity is equality in community. Scholar and author Tom Wright once wrote, the kingdom that Jesus preached and lived was all about a glorious, uproarious, absurd generosity. Don't you want to know the glorious, uproarious, absurd generosity of Jesus? Don't you want to live with glorious, uproarious, absurd generosity? I do. Do you? Let's pray. So we ask that you would pour more of your Holy Spirit into our hearts. That we might see all that you've promised to be for us and all that you've given to us. With eternal, infinite generosity. Change our hearts, oh God, and make us more like you. We pray in Jesus name. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's sing.